Hey church, hope you're having a great day. And uh, I'm believing that God is going to speak to every single person that is open to his voice today. This week has been, for many people, it's been a horrendous week as the news broke of the remains of 214 children being found in one of the residential schools in Kamloops. And we want to stand alongside, we want to grieve and mourn with our First Nation brothers and sisters. You know, it's not something that I think that we can we can push away and say that's that's another generation's problem or it happens somewhere else. We need to say, no, no, we stand together on this. We are appalled at this because in many times our silence can almost be as hurtful as something overt. Last year, as, as racism was highlighted even more through the death of George Floyd, you know, it was we had to become aware of what was happening in the world around us. And and I could say, you know, I, I, I would be able to say, well, that's not happening. I'm not like that. But as I sat down and I, I talked with some of the black people in our church over here in Newcastle, I was able to see the pain and the hurt that they'd suffered over many years from from overt racism, but also from 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 just things that people say, sometimes unintentionally, but add to the grief and the pain and the suffering that they've had to deal with. And so this is one of the things that I don't believe we can push away and say it's happening over there in another area or it happened in another generation. We need to say this is our problem. Sometimes the problem can be for what we as the church have stood for in the past. And we need to own our sins in the same way that Nehemiah owned the sins of his people. Nehemiah was in a different place, yet he was owning the sins of his people, the Israelites, and he was owning the sins of his ancestors as well and saying, no, this is it. We confess our sins before God. And so for us as followers of Christ, we need to understand this can be how people perceive the church. And the church really should be a representative of Jesus on earth. His love, his grace, his peace, his acceptance, his forgiveness. And we need to stand and say, we haven't done that well in the past. This can no longer happen. So I want to pray in a moment. I want us to maybe take a moment's silence and then we, we can pray together before we get in the word. So if you're ready, wherever you are right at this moment, if it's safe, bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's just have a moment of reflection and remember the 214 children who died. Let's also remember the relatives, the families who, who down through the generations, now their wounds are opening. So let's bow our heads. Father, you feel the pain and the grief and the suffering that, that our brothers and sisters are dealing with yet again. God, we, the church, say this cannot be represented of you. God, I pray that we will be better. I pray that we will do better in representing how much you love and how much you accept every single person. God, we pray for the families of, of these children that the remains that have been found. God, the, the grief 
that the families must be suffering right at this moment. God, we, we want to stand with them and mourn with them. We want to say we will not be silent. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, it's not easy just to jump in to the word of God. And, uh, but I, w- I want to do that. But just one more thing as I was, as I was praying there, I, was just, I read the news this last week of, of Ethan Bear from the Edmonton Oilers and just some of the racism and the, 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 the hate that he faced because he didn't play particularly, he had a bad day at the office in one of the, uh, one of the playoff games and it was racist. And we can say that happened in a, you know, that the, the remains, the residential schools, that happened in a different time. But if we do not stand, if we do not say something, this stuff will continue. We see it, a game of a high ice hockey. I know it's it's almost the world to some people, but why should one person, why should a group of people tolerate that hate because they had a bad day at the office? And so we should never stand for it. We should, we should stand together and say, this is not good enough for us. And, uh, and I pray, pray that the church will take stands. I, th- I thank God for the stand our own denomination, the Alliance is taking around uh, the 215 children that have been found. So we've prayed. If you're ready, let's get into the word of God. 14th of May, 2018. I walked into the Wallace Space Hotel in Covent Garden. Very, very nice. And uh, I walked in because I was going to a, I was going to a, a course. And uh, as I walked into the room, I looked around. You know, when you walk into a room, you always look for that one familiar face or a few familiar faces. And actually, in that room, I only knew one person. And that one person was Commander David Hopley of the British uh, Special Forces. He was, he was a previous commander. He retired from that position, but he, he was overseeing the SAS and the SBS, the Special Air Service and the Special Boat Service. Uh, he also holds rank in the US Special Forces as well, and he was co-commander over Europe incredible guy and have become uh, and still remain friends with with David but he'd invited me into this into this place and uh, he said oh you know he was doing a bit of coaching with me and he said I'd love for you to to be part of this leadership development course I later found out that it was actually a Harvard leadership development course and so I'm in this room and uh, and I walk in and you know the conversations begin and people are saying what they did and talking about you know the first class flights are not what they used to be and I'm like yeah yeah as I, uh, I sit in economy class train on a train journey to get down to London but there was a there was a CEO of, of Lego there there was a uh, there was a, a vice president of one of the Texas oil companies had flown in speci- specifically for these two days there was several leadership consultants in large firms. There was one of the partners for Ernst & Young or EY, which is one of the biggest four accountancy finance firms in the world. There are many others that I can't even remember what they did. And uh, many of them, many of them were earning six figure salaries. And yes, there was me, a pastor of a church. And boy, boy, did I feel at that moment intimidated. I fell out of my depth. You know, these guys talking about what they did and the amounts of money and the amounts of people that they they oversaw. And, and I, I, as I sat listening to the conversations at the, around the table, I knew that the question would eventually come to me. So what do you do then? I don't know if you've ever been 
or been in a situation where you felt you just don't belong there. Maybe in an event or a meeting or something like I was at, and you, you're totally out of your depth and people are asking and saying things and it's all going right over your head and you just want to sink through the floor. Maybe for you being part of church, maybe part of this service, this online service, that's how you feel. I don't deserve to be here. If only people knew what I was like. If only they really knew. You see, they have a name for what many of us feel in these situations. Now, it's called imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is simply a, a case of where we believe or we feel that we're not as competent or as skilled as other people know us to be. Maybe that's how you feel right now in your job or in your studies, maybe even as a parent. People look on the outside and they, they think everything's fantastic, but things from your perspective, you just feel like you don't deserve to be in that situation. Maybe it's being a Christian. I don't deserve this, this situation, this forgiveness, this grace, this love that I'm experiencing. I think most of us at some stage feel like that. Most of us have imposter syndrome, but for some people, it's a continual thing. And I want to look at someone in the Bible who, you know, I can't place that on her. But I, as I read about her, I'm thinking it's highly likely she would have felt like that. We're still in our series of faith, the good, the bad and the ugly. We've been looking at the heroes of faith. So I want to I want to read about and this. We don't know a lot about this person, but I want to read this this one verse. Hebrews 11 verse 31 It says this by faith. I love how it's that's that phrase by faith is said so many times in this uh, in this chapter. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient by faith. But what about what about the prostitute Rahab? I mean, what a job title. Uh, what a label to put on her. And today, you know, if we think about that being written today, you know, there would be that would be cause for outrage. There'd be Facebook uh, posts about it. There will be blogs about it and, and probably li lifelong therapy for Rahab herself. How dare we define someone by the mistakes of their past? You see, when we think about it, we have no idea what's been done to them. But here's the problem. We can wipe away and sanitize people's mistakes and sins of the past, but we actually negate part of their story. If we just knew her as Rahab, there is something about that story, the narrative of her life that we would completely lose. And maybe that's the part of the story that we can see ourselves in. Maybe, you know, the likelihood is there is probably not many people that would have the, the, lab, the, the label, the prostitute. But there are many things that we can see within Rahab's story that we could go, yeah, I, I can relate to how she feels. I can relate to what she went through in that situation. So when we negate and when we erase or cancel the past, what we can do is say, is take out a vital part of people's story. We first meet Rahab in the Old Testament in, in the account of the children of Israel, and they're about to enter the, the land that God had promised them. We know it as the promised land now. 
This is the second time they've come to this situation. They got to the borders and the first time they were so scared. They were, they were petrified of what was the other side of that, that they backed away. You see, God had taken them out of slavery in, in, in Egypt, but he hadn't taken the slavery out of them. They still had that slave mentality. And so that was 40 years previous. And then 40 years later, they come back to that same situation again. Joshua sends out two spies to look at the land and say, tell me what people are talking about. And uh, and and this time the children of Israel were ready to go in and fight for what God had promised them. So the spies came, they came to Jericho and they, they came upon the house of Rahab, the prostitute. And she actually ended up hiding them in a roof in uh, underneath a whole heap of, I think it was flax, uh, which from my understanding, was not a nice thing. It would have been all uh, moist and mushy and disgusting for them to hide under. But she hid them under there and left them there while the soldiers searched around for the spies. And she told the spies that, that she'd heard about their God and what he had done for them. In, just, in Joshua 2, verses 8 to 11, it says this, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Listen to this. I know we have heard as soon as we heard. See, Rahab didn't know God. She just heard about him. She actually believed in a God she didn't know, she hadn't experienced, but she knew there was something true, something real about this God because of what she'd heard about him. And therefore, her faith was in the God that she didn't even know. I want to just backtrack a bit about and talk a bit about Rahab. Now, I'm, I'm pretty much guessing that being a prostitute was not her career of choice. You know, when you listen and read about what sex workers say now as they, they're in that industry, some of the some of the reasons were that we hear about are to feed their drug addiction. They've been trafficked into it. They've been abused and have ended up being a sex worker. They do it to provide for others in their family or there is just no other way to survive. It is not a career of choice. You don't, you don't sit down and plan your career and go to a career advisor and, and say, oh yeah, I've done all the assessments and I want to be a prostitute. See, we don't know anything about Rahab's backstory, but I can guess that her life at that moment hadn't turned out the way that she thought it would. And maybe that's one of the things as we begin to look at these these heroes of faith, maybe that's one of the things that you can say, yeah, I can relate to that. My life right where I am at this moment, it hasn't turned out how I thought it would be. My plans haven't haven't they brought me to this place, but it certainly isn't where I thought I would be. And I don't think it was a particular label that she would want to pass down as she's talking to her grandchildren. Oh, yeah, I'm Rahab the prostitute. See, no, 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 no. What's a prostitute? 
That's not something that you, not a conversation that you want to have with your kids or your grandkids, is it? But she chose to believe what she heard about God. She chose to believe what she heard about a God that she never knew, rather than the armies and the walls that she already knew about. I want, to, I want you to imagine, if you would, that down through the years that, that Rahab is reading Hebrews 11. You know, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And she's sitting there going, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's faith. Yeah, wow, fantastic. This is good. This preaching is good. Yeah, look at Moses. Look at Abraham and Sarah, the, 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 the patriarchs of our faith. Look at Jacob. He was amazing. Had the 12 sons and the tribes of Israel. Enoch was, we don't know anything about him, but he walked with God. That's all we knew. Abel, amazing. I love hearing those stories. Look at this. Yeah, fantastic. Hebrews 11. Look at all these heroes. Wait, what? It says Rahab. Surely there must be another Rahab. No, it says Rahab the prostitute. How did I get into this chapter with the heroes of faith? I don't I don't deserve to be there. All I did was I took in a couple of spies. I believed the God and I chose him. You see, I think if if Rahab was reading her name, it would definitely induce imposter syndrome in her. I think she would have felt very much the odd one out in a very in a long list of eminent and capable people, the leaders of the children of Israel. Even when we think about those that messed up, they were leaders. They were standout people. Samson, the strength of Samson. Yes, he messed up, but he was a leader. Moses, he wasn't perfect, but he was a leader. And Rahab is there thinking, yeah, I, I don't think I deserve to be here. And why would they put Rahab the prostitute? Why couldn't they just call me by my name, Rahab? See, Rahab was defined by her job. And really for us, as we maybe read that again, it doesn't seem fair that she was still known thousands of years later as Rahab the prostitute. But I want to say that God has a bigger plan. God redeemed her. He bought her back. He loved her. You see, where where previously Rahab's value would have probably been by the hour, God said, you are mine. I paid the ultimate price for you. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Jump forward into the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 and 20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, not an hourly price. Therefore, honour your God, honour God with your bodies. Where previously Rahab's value would have been what she could provide for the hour, for whatever client she had, maybe for the money that she brought home. God said, you are mine. I've paid the price for you. He bought us back. 
So we can say that's for us as well. He has bought us back. That's what redeem means, to pay what is valued and bring it back. He bought us back, not for the price that we value ourselves, not even for the price that maybe other people have valued, but the price that he values us with. That well-known verse, known across the world, God so loved. Imagine this. Imagine you, you just, for the moment, replace the word love with value. God so valued the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only son. You see, the value that God placed on Rahab's life, on your life, even with our imposter syndrome, was not what you earn per year, not your, not your salary, not your, your assets, not your house, but the life of his son. Now, I, as a dad, I don't see any greater life, any greater value than the value of one of my children. The price of God's son was the value that he placed on our life. If we did not know her as Ray, Rahab the prostitute, we, we wouldn't know that God, God took someone defined, a past defined by, by abuse and misogyny, probably, and placed value on her. But not the only, this isn't the only thing. I love this bit. And he placed her in the line of King David and ultimately Jesus. See, the exciting thing is, is that God, he takes our past and he redeems it. He doesn't ignore our past. He doesn't cancel it. Yes, the sin, he, he says the sin is cast away. But sometimes what happens is, is that in that recovery and in that restoration, he says, let me highlight your past to show you how much I have loved you. Something is only as valuable as someone is willing to pay, isn't it? And God says, I am willing to pay the life of my son for you. I love you, despite your past, despite what you've done, and maybe despite what has been done to you. The value that other people have placed on you is not the value that I place on you. God chose to redeem Rahab and pay what he knew she was worth. Maybe you're backstory is not quite as dramatic as Rahab the prostitute but when you look around you and and see those these bright shiny Christians maybe you feel like an imposter maybe you feel out of place and thinking if only they knew what I was like what if they knew about my depression what if they knew about my addiction to alcohol or to porn what if they knew about my financial debt what if they knew about my abortion what if they knew I was raped? What if they knew I could barely cope with my kids right at this moment? See, God looks at our narrative and he places his value. Despite where we may be, be thinking that we, we are an imposter, that we feel out of place, God says, no, no, my value is not the value that you have. My value is not what you feel. The value that I place is the value of the life of my son. Maybe you even know someone who consider them, considers themselves outside of God's redemptive love. Maybe that's you. See, if we didn't know Rahab was a prostitute, maybe you could sit there and think, but God, God would never buy me back. But the very fact that we know Rahab the prostitute says to us, says to me, says to you, God's redemptive love can buy anyone back. If he can do it for her, he can do it for us. Don't forget that in the same way you have a backstory, 
and maybe haven't revealed yourself to those around you. Neither have many of the people around you. You can look at them and think they're nice, bright, shiny Christians and they've got everything together. They're probably thinking the same about you. Most of us feel out of place, don't we? A bit broken or not worthy. Maybe you've You've already been brought back into the family and and are a follower of Christ, but you still have that imposter syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Salmon, not Solomon, but Salmon. Let me read one of the passages of scriptures that as we read in the Bible, many of us overlook. Matthew 1, it's a whole line, genealogy, they're called, a list of names. Right there, it says this, Matthew 1, verses 5, 6, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. See, when you read that, there's some some messed up people in there. And that actually tells us that God redeems, brings back, restores people into his family. In Jewish tradition, it was highly frowned upon to marry a foreign woman. And this this generally introduced, as we read the history of the Jewish people, the children of Israel, when they married and intermarried, it generally introduced foreign the worship of foreign deities, foreign gods uh, and idols. And that's seen throughout the Old Testament. Yet when we read the line of Jesus's ancestors, here's Rahab, a foreign woman, married to Salmon, who was the father of a guy called Boaz. Now, Boaz, if you read Ruth, married another foreign woman, Ruth. He treated her with respect and honor and eventually ended up marrying her. I want to ask, where do you think Boaz learned to honor and respect someone from another culture and ethnicity? Yep, I would say it's his mum. His mum was Rahab. Rahab the prostitute, who Boaz would probably just have known as mum. Rahab was the great-great-grandmother of the greatest king that Israel ever knew. If we, if we keep reading, it actually gets better because, as, we, as I said before, that then brings the line down to Jesus. Now, surely, if you're a writer of history, you'd want to create this nice, clean line to King David and then a nice, clean line down to Jesus. But no, right there we see there's Rahab, the redeemed prostitute. You see, if we didn't know that she was a prostitute, if if history had been sanitized and wiped away, we would never have been able to see ourselves maybe in her her story of, of God buying back, redeeming, restoring, bringing back to life this woman. God takes the unlikely, the undervalued, the broken, and he reclaims, restores, and revives them. Your past doesn't dictate your future, but it can show what you have overcome or what has been overcome on your behalf. I'm not sure what value you have placed on your life, but I can guarantee that it goes nowhere near the value that God places on your life. See, the reality is, Rahab had no right to be in this list of heroes, except that she simply believed. She wasn't outstanding from what we know in any other way, except that she believed this God that she'd heard about but never experienced.
Can, when we hear about that, when we, when we recognize that, can we see ourselves in that list? You see, more often we see our, ourselves in a list, in a story of people's brokenness and weakness than we do in people's triumphs and strengths. We love the triumphs. We love the, the hero stories, the David's slaying Goliath. But we also need to realize that there's, there's brokenness and there's weakness there. And that's where we can relate ourselves into that story. And for Rahab to be in this list of heroes, it simply took belief in a God that she'd heard about. For you to be in a list of heroes of faith, it simply takes belief in a God that some of you have only heard about, but we need to believe. You probably not consider yourself a hero of faith until you maybe hear the account of Rahab. She heard about this God, she believed him, and then she acted on that belief. She, she saved the spies. She actually went against her own king, her own culture. Jesus, Jesus, the brother, sorry, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in, he wrote one of the books of the New Testament named after himself, James, obviously. Um, but and it, the basic message of his, his book and his, his letter was, have faith but act on that faith. And even he mentions Rahab the prostitute, James 2, 25. In the same way, was not, was not even Rahab the prostitute, there we have it again, can't get away from the label, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. She didn't just believe God, but she acted on the belief in this God as well. Rahab chose God above all else. She chose God above her culture, above her own safety and above her brokenness. You see, Rahab wasn't in this list of heroes of faith because she decided she was worth it. She was in that list because God decided she was worth it. You might not associate yourself with a, a giant, giant slayer like David or an incredible leader who stood up to the ruler of the day to abolish slavery like Moses, or even with Sarah, the mother of a nation. But maybe, just maybe, you can see yourself in the story of the brokenness of Rahab, the most unlikely of the heroes of faith. Rahab believed in God, a God that she'd only heard about, but never experienced. We might... We're never going to, we might not get on a list of heroes of faith. We're never going to get on a list of heroes of faith in the Bible, that's for sure. But imagine us, Circle, being known for, for taking the weak, the broken, the unlikely, and introducing them to Jesus who redeems and restores. A church full of people with, yes, imposter syndrome at times. A church full of people who believe the God that we have heard about and act on that belief. A church full of people who are loved, redeemed and restored. A church that does not deny our backstory, that does not deny our brokenness, because it's the very thing that some people can relate to and say, if God did it for them, he can do it for me too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for this this unlikely hero of faith, Rahab the prostitute. God, I pray that as we 
as we consider what we've heard, as we consider your word, God. I pray that we we will begin to realize that it's simply about believing in who you are and who you are to us and God acting on that belief. And we thank you for that. God, I pray for those that don't know you, that have maybe only just heard about you, that have, but have never experienced you. God, I pray that somehow something that we've done today, something that we've sung, something that they've heard, God will cause their attention to turn to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. As I do every week, I'd love just to talk to a couple of groups of people, maybe three groups of people, actually. And I want to, I want to invite you to respond to what I'm going to say in a moment. And if, you're, if you've got the chat facility there, one of the things you can do is, is press the come home to G raise my hand button, come home to Jesus, uh, and you'll be taken through. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But I want to talk to a couple of groups or three groups of people. First group, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. But maybe something that you've heard today, you say, you're thinking, yeah, I, I've heard about God or I've seen him. I've seen what he's done in my friend's life and I, I want what they have. I want to know this Jesus. I want to know this God who redeems, who restores, who revives, who loves me. And I want to invite you into a prayer in a moment. Or maybe you're, you're someone that's, that's followed Jesus, but you've gone away. You've walked away from his love and his grace and his forgiveness. But today, you know, you need to come back into that family, come back to that place of saying, God, I've come to my right mind and I want to come home. Maybe you're a young person that's grown up in church like I did. But today you've come to realize I need to establish my own relationship, my own, my own faith in this God that I've seen in my family environment. And I'd love to join. I'd love if, you, if that's you in any of those groups, I'd love you to join me in a prayer. And I'm just simply going to say some words in a moment and leave some space for maybe you to, uh, to follow those words. And then at the end of that prayer, again, if you want to say yes to Jesus, why don't you just hit that button? And uh, we've, got a, we've got something that we want to give you a, a New Testament. And uh, so we'd love you to connect with one of our team online. But let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you are the God that sees my backstory. And I thank you even with that, you still love me. I want to accept your love. I want to ask you into my life today. God, I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I ask to be part of your family. I thank you that right at this moment you have redeemed me, you have restored me and you have revived me. And from this moment forward, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, if you've made that decision, as I said, we'd love to connect with you. Why don't you hit that raise my hand button? But, you know, you need to know that we are celebrating with you. We, we celebrate every single decision, whether it's a public one like you're doing now or even someone praying at home. We want to celebrate with you because the Bible says that all heaven is joining in that celebration right at this moment. So, hey, we're just joining in the party that's already going on. But uh, fantastic. If you made that decision, you know, couple of things go out and say go out and tell someone what you've done because it does something in you and you never know what it will do in them especially when they hear your story as well grab a hold of the bible 
get reading that, but also keep turning up and uh, we'll see you next week. I'm going to hand back to the guys in Saskatoon. So love you. Hopefully we'll see you very soon. Take care. Have a blessed week.